0: Get ready to step in this scripture with Tina! Hey, everyone. My name is Tina Wilson. I'm a pastor's wife and a mom of seven, and alongside my husband, Matt, who I'm so excited you're going to get to meet today, I've committed my life to serving King Jesus as a church planter, a Bible teacher, an author, and an advocate for all-in family ministry. I'm absolutely passionate about making Christ and His church famous, and I want to welcome you to Step Into Scripture with Tina. The purpose of this podcast is basically to point people toward King Jesus, and we are starting down that path by establishing a firm foundation, specifically through trying to teach our viewers and listeners about the importance of committing yourself to reading the entire Word of God all the way through. Now, the way we're approaching that here in season one is I spent some time polling a large group of women, about 800 women, from our church, and I asked them this question, What objections have you heard or even used, believed in your own heart, about why you really don't need to or don't have to read the entire Bible all the way through? What is stopping a Christ follower from making that commitment? And taking those objections, we are using Scripture to dispel them here in season one of this podcast. Today, though, we're going to deviate from that path just a little bit uh, because we are going to talk about a theme in Scripture that when you see the connectivity of it and the fulfillment of it, it's going to kind of blow your mind. And I think this is important because it's these mind-blowing pieces of Scripture that really cause us to desire it and want it more and more. And I have asked my husband, Matt, to join me for this episode. So, Matt, will you just go ahead and introduce yourself and give us an overview of this topic we're going to dive into today?
1: Great. So I'm Matt Wilson. I'm Tina's lovely husband. And I'm so excited to be on this podcast because I know how important the topics you take on are. I'm a pastor, the lead pastor at Ecclesia Christian Church, a church planter, and I'm a father of all of Tina's lovely seven homeschooled children. But, you know, really, as a servant of God, as a person who loves God, I'm passionate about people being able to understand God's Word, not just hear it, not just read it, but understand it. And I'm so glad to be a part of this and this topic today because it's so crucial to people being able to grow in God's Word.
0: Absolutely. So, Matt, today's topic is is a big one, and there are Lots of shadows, lots of fulfillments. We've kind of introduced that mm. idea in this podcast that things that are cryptic or shadowed in the Old Testament are revealed and fulfilled in the New Testament. So dive us right in. Let's hit it.
1: So we're talking about 40 days. And 40 days, if you've read through the Bible or if you went to Sunday school, you've heard this phrase 40 days again and again. So it's so significant because in Genesis, the flood where God wipes out the population of the earth except for eight people, it rains for 40 days and 40 nights. When Moses enters the presence of the Lord on Mount Sinai, he stays there for 40 days and 40 nights. During that time, Moses eats nothing. So he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. And and what is amazing is Moses literally doesn't even drink water. You know, I mean, that's a miracle in itself. Absolutely
0: supernatural fast. When
1: you focus yourself into a place of devotion to God, God is all you need. So we've got the 12 spies, they're sent into Canaan to scout the land. They're there for 40 days and 40 nights. After a showdown with prophets at the Mount Carmel, there's a 40-day trip that Elijah's going to take where, beautifully on this trip, God sustains him, he's broken, and yet God sends him out of there powerful with hope for the next generation. Jonah preaches to the city of Nineveh that in 40 days, God's going to send judgment, and in those 40 days, we see this, this fasting, this repenting, and change, and mercy, and grace. And the one that's going to be so significant to most people that's going to stand out the most is Jesus, Before, he, after he's baptized, before he's tempted by Satan in the wilderness, he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. Yeah. And so as we get through that, we're going to focus on this final 40-day period that's so significant to us as the church. And that's the time from Jesus' resurrection to Jesus' ascension, where he shows himself to over 500 people and he teaches his disciples and prepares them for the coming church.
0: Awesome. All right, so 40 day period, we see it repeated again and again through Scripture. But again, Matt, you're going to focus us in today on the last 40 day period that we come to in Scripture, the 40 days that marks the time from Jesus' resurrection that we celebrate on Easter to his ascension. Forty days later.
1: Yeah. So whenever we're reading the Bible, if we see something reoccurring, we can't just say, "Oh, that's a coincidence." It's significant. And so this time period of Jesus, it's it's not new. It's right. something that's going to fulfill something. Every time we see it in the New Testament, we're fulfilling something from the Old. So to understand the significance of this, we need to go back to the Book of Exodus. So fifteen hundred years before the advent of Christ, this is a pretty familiar story to everybody. We've got God's delivering Israel. And and they're in slavery in Egypt, and he's going to bring them out. They've lived there for like 450 years, close to. And in this period, God institutes this sacrificial system, not that it's new, but he he's going to define it and lay it out. And in this deliverance they have to take this sacrificial lamb and they have to put the blood on the doorpost of all their houses. They have to eat of the Passover feast, and the Passover is going to be the angel of death passing over their house so that their firstborn children aren't killed by the angel of death. And they have to eat the lamb in haste, and they have to be ready to go because God's going to deliver them. At midnight, the firstborn of all of all of Egypt is going to die. Anyone who doesn't have the blood of the lamb covering their doorpost. Their firstborn will die, and God gives them plenty of warning, plenty of heads up. Yeah. But in this, they go out to celebrate a festival to the Lord. So Exodus twelve fourteen, this is a lasting ordinance that they're going to have, and God is establishing this, and Jesus is going to institute this again on the, on the week of his death, the night of his betrayal in the Lord's Supper. So he's, he takes away everything in the Passover feast, the salt, the bitter herbs. He takes away all the things that are reminding us of our transgressions, and He leaves only in this the new wine that is the picture of the blood of the Lamb, and the bread that is without sin that's pierced and broken for us, which is His body that He's going to institute for us. So in this, we've got this beautiful picture of Jesus fulfilling the Passover feast and turning into the Lord's Supper, which as often as we gather together in His name, We partake of this to remember the celebration of him loving us enough to die for us. So 1 Corinthians does a wonderful job of being able to lay that out, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 11. But I I want us to kind of look at what happens after Jesus gives this Passover feast to his disciples, and as he fulfills it to be his body and blood, he teaches them about his sacrifice. He lets them know he's going to be broken. His body's going. His blood's going to be poured out. He's going to be crucified on the cross, and even to the point to where he stands before Pilate and others. Um, so many fulfillments start taking place. The time Jesus is yeah. to be, the time he's he's betrayed, the time that he's going to be tried, yeah. the time he's going to be killed. But even up to this point during the trial, he stands trial before Pilate, and there, is these, there are these customs of the Passover that have to take place. For example, we're going to forgive, we're going to release a prisoner, we're going yeah. to, to redeem someone who is lost. And Jesus in this place, Pilate asks them, he says, hey, it's the time of Passover, I'm going to release to you Jesus, who's, who's the king of the Jews, or I'm going to release Barabbas, who's a murderer. And the people choose redemption for a murderer over the blemishless Son of God. And although there's a cruelty in this, a selfishness to this, it perfectly depicts the love of God in our cruelty, in our selfishness, that He would still allow His Son to take the place of a murderer, no matter how broken we've been.
0: Absolutely.
1: And so in this, the timing of Jesus' death, the, the way it takes place, the trial of Jesus' death, even while he's on the cross, prophecy is being fulfilled. So in John 19, 29, we've got a jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it and put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. So Jesus is dehydrated. He's thirsty. He cries out. And as they do this, we miss that in Exodus twelve twenty two, Moses was commanded and commanded the Israelites to take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood basin and put some of the blood on the top and both sides of the doorframe so that none of the people wouldn't be covered by the blood, and when the angel of death came through, he would pass over and they would survive for them and their children. And what's so beautiful in this is this is the picture of Jesus as they're lifting this hyssop up to him, they're literally touching the bloody lips of the lamb. Wow. And the blood of the lamb is covering the people they are crucifying him. Yes. And the angel of death, I mean, he could have called 10,000 angels, just as damnation could have come, but he, he sends grace on them and says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Yeah. Another beautiful piece is the lamb, this blemishless lamb that is supposed to be the sacrificing atonement. They couldn't break any of its bones. And so we look at Jesus, although he was beaten, although he was persecuted, although all these assaults, ripping his beard out, all of these things, nailing him to the cross, although all of them happened, none of his bones would be broken. Wow. Yeah. And so we have Exodus 12, 46 that says, do not break any of the bones. And then if we turn to John 19, verse 31, it says, now it was the day of preparation and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath because the Jewish leaders thought we, we have to keep the Sabbath holy and even looking on these things mm. will defile us. Yeah. So they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus. And then what's amazing is he's between these two. Yeah. So they go to the other man, and then they break his legs. But when they come to Jesus, so they have to pass Jesus to go break the other man's legs. But when they come to him, he's already dead. And so to guarantee he's dead, they could have just broken his legs anyways. Right. But to guarantee he's dead, they take a spear and they pierce his side. And what is amazing is blood and water come out. Yeah. Now, I've got to take a second here. Because there's a part of me that just, this geeks me out, okay? Blood and water mix, when I was a kid, I didn't understand that. Throughout time, we've, we've learned more. Um, science has advanced. But we've learned, you know, when, when our blood, it, the Bible says, has life in it, okay? So if you've ever driven down the road, it, like in our community, you've got people that they've got plasma for, they're buying your plasma. Right, yeah. So the most valuable part of your blood is plasma. And, and it's, it's over 95% water. Wow. And so when you die, when you're alive, your blood and plasma are kept together by pumping through your body. The plasma is what heals you. The plasma is what restores you. The blood clots, but the plasma carries nutrients through your body. But when you die, plasma and and the blood cannot stick together, so they separate. Wow. So look at this picture of the water washing, the thing that restores us, the thing that heals us, the cleansing power. And so, as Jesus is bleeding out of his side, so many beautiful things are taking place. The washing in water, the, re- the regeneration of Christ's blood, this, this ability to heal and restore is pouring out of Jesus' side. Yeah. And it's just so beautiful to see this take place right in front of them and science now to kind of confirm
0: Absolutely. what
1: God was doing. So, prior to Jesus' t- his crucifixion, everything that was happening, um, he spends over three years teaching his disciples. but. After he resurrects, we know because the Apostle Paul teaches us this, that he appears to over 500 people, including his brother James. So we've got people on the road to Emmaus. We've got Mary. We've got some of some of the disciples meeting him in the upper room and then finally joined by Thomas. He, we see him come to them while they're out fishing and feed them. And, and And the Bible doesn't really clarify a lot of what he says. There's not a lot of detail there. But we do see this teaching that comes about where Jesus says, at the end of these 40 days, he gives us the Great Commission. Mm-hmm. We know that he tells us that we're going to advance from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth, yeah. and that these disciples are going to have to spend time waiting on the Holy Spirit to come. So what is filled in this 40 days is preparation. Yes. Preparation for the church to be launched and become the bride of Christ that heals the world.
0: All right, so let's pause right there for a minute, because I know... Uh, We've got several more fulfillments out in front of us uh, as we look from Exodus, where you started us, to Acts, where we're pausing right now. But I want to take a few minutes before we move into the final fulfillment that we're going to get to and just talk about this 40-day period. So. Jesus has, has fulfilled so much that we saw opened in the book of Exodus, in the deliverance of the Israelites out of Egypt, in this Passover, this very first Passover that took place. And then he dies, and he resurrects on the third day, and we enter this 40-day period from Resurrection Day, which we celebrate today as Easter, to Ascension Day. And there's not a whole lot in Scripture about this time considering that the crucifixion and resurrection is the focal point, the most important event in all of human history.
1: Well, there's not a lot of information between God's judgment in the flood and, and when they True. come out of the flood. Just like there's, we have the judgment of sin on Christ, and then we have the resurrection of Christ, and then we have the departure of Christ. Yes. So, so God does a good job of filling those pieces in later.
0: Yes. So... Let's talk about what we do have. So you've already mentioned several of these. We have this account of at Jesus' resurrection, he frightens the guards. He appears to the women and to the disciples. He walks and talks on the road to Emmaus. um, He catches fish. He cooks breakfast. That's one of my favorites, as he restores Peter. He issues the Great Commission which we talk about constantly here at our church at Ecclesia. And then I want to just read you nine verses from the book of Acts that give us a little more insight into this period preceding Jesus' ascension after his resurrection. So Luke writes here in Acts chapter one, beginning in verse one, "'In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen.' Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel, right? Because he's teaching them about the kingdom. And he said, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And like you said, Matt, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid them from their view. So. While there's not really a ton about this in Scripture, there are a few key things that that I want to just point out about this 40 days before you move us forward with more of the fulfillments. Number one is that this was a critical time, this 40 days, for Jesus to make key appearances to key people. And when I say that, I'm not meaning appearances in places of prominence to people of prominence. The key people here were the faithful. Because what's about to happen at the end of this 40 days is Jesus Christ is going to ascend back into heaven, and he is going to have these few faithful disciples, and it's going to be their responsibility to launch this commission we just read, uh, that they're going to have to take this gospel from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth, because what's at stake here is the kingdom. Jesus is establishing a kingdom, and they're either going to carry that kingdom to the ends of the earth, or it's not going to get carried. They're the first generation of the church. So that's number one. The, the crucial nature of these 40 days was that Jesus made sure that, that the key people were entrusted to take the gospel to the key places so that it could be uh, disseminated throughout the whole earth. And the other key piece of this is that these ambassadors had to be Thoroughly prepared with every answer that they would need, with every teaching about Jesus that they would need. Because, I mean, they're coming into this thing. Uh, they're going to start this by preaching to a Jewish audience. They they understand that there's been a promise of restoration, a promised Messiah. But but some of these things that 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 Jesus is introducing here, this promised Holy Spirit. This is not a concept that they understand. And there are times in in the Old Testament this is alluded to, but Jesus is speaking with much more clarity at this point. And so I just want to really lean into the importance of the 40-day period that Jesus has to instill this discipleship into the people who are going to be the first generation of the church. It's got to be completely intentional. It's not going to happen by accident. And as you're going to reveal in just a few minutes, it's 40 days. This is not um, a time period that Jesus intends to extend because just like with Passover, he is aligning every single thing that's happening to fulfill shadows in the Old Testament that absolutely speak to the validity of the resurrection like nothing else could.
1: What I find is beautiful in this is the 40-day period they didn't really know it was going to be a 40-day yeah. period. So they're asking, and Jesus like, just, just deal with it. But if you go back to the passage we just read a minute ago, so in this 40-day, when we look at it, we start seeing that Jesus taught the apostles during this time, right? Mm-hmm. So as he gives his commands to his apostles, telling them, you're going to be the ones they're going to teach, he's preparing them. If you go to Acts 2.42, Okay, so the result, this healthy church that's birthed out of this gestation period, yes. shall we say. Yes, is that? Oh,
0: man, do you know how long a gestation period is? How long? 40 weeks.
1: Oh, check it out. So you've got that 40 again. Um, so, but with, with, with the Holy Spirit moving, what takes 40 weeks may take 40 days. But look at Acts 2.42. This formula for successful church—they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Yeah. So Jesus takes forty weeks teaching those who are going to be the sowers. Forty days. Forty days. Jesus takes—I'm thinking about gestation now—but um, Jesus sows into those who are going to plant, reap, and harvest. Yeah. Right. And so in this, we we come to this point of what is our job as the church? Uh, so many times churches just get to a point where we want the Pentecost. We want the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people coming to Christ. We want Samaria, an entire village, coming to Christ. We want those those few instances in the Bible where the gospel has already been sown and it's already been worked to show up and just reach thousands with just preaching a sermon, right? But the thing of it is there has to be a planting And there has to be a tending season before you can reap the harvest. And so this 40 days, Jesus is planting and tending in his disciples. They show up and preach the gospel and reap a harvest out of the areas Jesus has already worked. These massive growths are coming out of where Jesus has already ministered. Samaria, look at John chapter 4. And so, but once they get outside of the radius of Jesus' ministry, so from Jerusalem to Judea, going to Samaria and beyond, this discipleship is key. Yeah. And it goes from thousands of people in a day to house to house. Right, And so discipleship becomes key. And so for us as a church, we want to devote ourselves to spending 40 days being able to plant, mm-hmm. nurture, and then harvest as it's ready. Right, And so the 40 days with Jesus is this. We take 40 days, and it doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for 40 years or if you're just now starting to ask questions. We take on key questions that people struggle with. And what does the Bible say about this? We want to know what God is calling us to, what we're called for, and how to live that life. So it's not the end all. It's the beginning of a journey. It gives us a foundation to stand on. And it's so beautiful because just like for us, we have this process of none lost to Pentecost. Yeah. You know, we we want to take moments like Easter Resurrection Day and we want to spend 40 days of planting and and creating discipleship, me towards someone else, and then as it spreads, so that every Easter's like the Super Bowl of churches. That's where all the visitors and the lost will come to the church. We want to scatter seeds, and then we want to water them. We want to guard them and and nurture them so that on the day of Pentecost, the birth of the church, we can bring a harvest to Jesus Christ.
0: That's right. That is a flow um, that I love that exists in our church ecclesia. It's just part of our DNA that, yeah, we love Easter. It's, It's just like that for us. It's our Super Bowl. It's the biggest crowds that we have all year long. But we don't count the Easter number and go, we had a victory. We count the Easter number and go, we don't want to see a single one of them lost until Pentecost, which is the final fulfillment you're going to bring us to in just a minute. Because on Ascension Day, we then begin another countdown. And Matt, I'll, I'll let you speak to that in just a minute. But this process of people come to church on Easter. Some are hearing the gospel for the first time. Some are connecting with a fellowship of believers for the very first time, and, and we provide an immediate next step for them in a discipleship program, the 40 Days with Jesus, and it's modeled after this entire process that we've just discussed here that began thousands of years ago in Exodus, that Jesus fulfilled in, in the first century, and that we now get to emulate and and be just as intentional about it because again, these forty days for Jesus, these were crucial. This was him setting up the ambassadors who are going to take his kingdom to the ends of the earth, and we believe it deserves just that much intentionality
1: today. So the Great Commission is still the same. Yeah. Make disciples, not yes. converts. Right. And so I think we struggle as American Christians with the celebration of Easter. And not the responsibility of Easter.
0: Yes. So this is a
1: time where we we scatter seeds. Yeah. So people that are lost will come to church. Now we scatter every day, but Easter is the one time the world comes to you. Yeah. And says scatter like har like put yes. seeds in in my soil. Yes. And and so many times we come out and like oh Easter was great we did our job people came to Jesus but we forget what what are we doing He didn't say make converts. Right. He said, make disciples. And so we have to be intentional with that time. Right. We have to invest. People have to matter beyond the service.
0: Right? They have
1: to matter as the harvest. Right. Who are going to reach the rest of the world?
0: Absolutely. So let me revisit just a few verses that I read from Acts chapter 1. I just want to read verses 4 and 5 one more time. It says, On one occasion, while he, that's Jesus, was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So we know from the first chapter of Acts, you can read a little more about this in verses 12 to 15, that at this time, uh, prior to Jesus' ascension, in this 40 day period, the, the number of believers who he is teaching here, who he's giving this command to wait in Jerusalem, numbers about 120. We know that they listened, they followed this command, and so they are all together in an upstairs room where they're devoting themselves to intentional prayer and fasting following Jesus' ascension. Mm-hmm. So 40 days pass, he ascends back into heaven, leaving them with the Great Commission to go make disciples of all nations, but they don't immediately go because first they're going to do what he said. They're going to wait in Jerusalem for the gift that he has heard him speak them speak about, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Again, which would have been a concealed, mysterious concept to them. And then, Matt, take us into the final fulfillment here. Ten days, they're waiting, just like he said, and what happens next?
1: So I was, I was, I was kind of sitting here thinking, people are going to be like, wait a minute, there's 50 days. It's Pentecost. So 40 days, we call that gestation period, yeah. right? And then there's that 10 days to where it's preparation, Right. And so as we're looking at that, this is a, this is a period Jesus goes to heaven and they go to Jerusalem and they wait. Yeah. And it's the most dangerous place, the most dangerous time. Like what in the world are they doing other than praying, preparing themselves, pouring themselves out waiting? And so why does why does Jesus wait this extra 10 days? Well, let's go back to Egypt and as the Israelites come out, the Israelites leave Egypt and God descends on Mount Sinai and delivers his covenant law to Moses. So Moses, while he's away receiving the law, we already know how long he was there, but while he's receiving the law, the people do what we do. We grow restless. We get tired of waiting. Yeah. We're, we're, we're instant gratification people. Yeah. You know, 40 days seems like a long time. Yeah. Like, get, can we just get some converts? Yeah. But we have to, we have to have faith and we've got to let God fully prepare what he's doing. And so they lose faith. They, they, they begin to sin. And Moses comes down. And it's really one of the saddest stories is, is Moses kind of thinks maybe there's an enemy in the camp and God has time. now. That's not the sound of war. That's the sound of sin. Yeah. And they're celebrating in their sin. And so Moses is carrying the law of God. Like yeah. they have no law. They have, they're coming out of slavery. They have nothing to keep them secure to follow God. Moses is carrying that to them. And he's so angry. It's like one of those moments like you don't deserve this. Yeah. And so Moses smashes these tablets on the ground. Then he asks this question, who's on the Lord's side?
0: Yeah,
1: And, you know, I, I kind of feel like maybe I would raise my hand. But when we're guilty, yeah. we, we, can, we can really take offense. But there's this, this tribe of Levi. This, and Levi, if you go back and do your history, Levi's kind of a bloody tribe. They've made some mistakes. They've almost been under a curse for some of their actions previously. But the tribe of Levi, the descend, the family of Aaron, the family of Moses, there's something in them that just joins Moses in this moment. And they step up, and they go out, and they pull their swords And they kill 3,000 people. This is a dark time, but because of their zeal, God turns them into his priestly people. Now, all people were supposed to be priests. Right. But the rest of them had sinned. Only one tribe was faithful to God and zealous. Now, I wouldn't suggest killing 3,000 people today. And it's very tragic what's happening here on multiple levels, but what's beautiful. So the Bible, where it has tragedy, is going to redeem it. Yeah. And so on the same day, Pentecost, God sends the Holy Spirit, the Word of God is preached, the Word, the law of God is scribed in our hearts, we can become a whole nation of priests again, yes. as God had intended. But think about this, how many people were saved and given new life through Christ on the day of Pentecost?
0: 3,000 people.
1: 3,000 people believed and were baptized on that day. And so where we have this foreshadowing of death because of rebellion. 3,000 killed. And now we've got 3,000 coming to new life, passing through death and being resurrected in Christ. Yes. That's so beautiful, and it's so fulfilling. And so the Jewish festival, the Feast of Week, celebrates this law of Sinai, but now we have Pentecost to celebrate the giving of the Holy Spirit, and today we have something even more beautiful because we have the Holy Spirit and his inspired word yes. that was written by the men Jesus taught it to so that we would have it to be able to continue making disciples devoted to the apostles' teaching.
0: That's such an amazing connection. It's one of my favorite things in Scripture. And again, I feel like as you start to find these these connections, just the perfection of the Word of God, how He shadows all these things in the Old Testament, and then they're just revealed and fulfilled in the New Testament, it's it's faith-building for us. So I want to just point out, Um, a couple other similarities. Matt mentioned the 3,000 killed and then the 3,000 raised to new life in repentance and baptism. That is beautiful. I'll read you also Exodus chapter 19, verses 16 to 18. And this is this account when Moses was there at Sinai. It says, On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet With God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke, because the Lord descended on it in fire, and smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. Now listen to this account of the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound, like the blowing of a violent wind, came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And on this same day, as the people are wondering what is going on, Peter begins to preach the gospel, and he says, what you're seeing right now is a fulfillment of what was spoken by the prophet Joel, and he quotes him, I will show signs and wonders in heaven above and in the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. This exact same picture that was caused to inspire fear and reverence for God in the Old Testament is now inspiring people to be reconciled to God and filled with the Spirit of God in this outpouring of the Holy Spirit that happens after 40 days of Jesus resurrection and discipleship and then 10 days following his resurrection.
1: Yes, yeah, so, ascension. Yes. So there's 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 one more time. So if we were to look at the Bible and we were to say, okay, this is a coincidence. Like that's a lot of coincidence to look from the Exodus to the day of Pentecost, right? But there's a beautiful fulfillment that God had planned long ago. So let's look, we come off the ark after the flood. So 40 days and 40 nights of rain and then right. how long we were on the ark and then this new community and then the commission's always been the same go multiply
0: right subdue the subdue earth the go earth. multiply
1: when they come off the ark the same thing but then man rebels again and he instead of multiplying and subduing the earth he builds a, a powerful city and this this pyramid or this tower to heaven and it's called babel right and it's called babel because god divides them to scatter them throughout the earth and he divides their language What do we see take place on the day of Pentecost? God brings people from every nation under the sun back together, allows through the Holy Spirit to speak their native tongues to them so that they can be reunited in Christ. And the Great Commission can now go out again, uniting all people in Christ to bring people to new life.
0: Absolutely incredible. So so, at the end of this 40-day period on the ark, people are scattered and their language confused.
1: After the Babel. after Babel. Babel.
0: And then at the end of this 40-day period of discipleship, people are gathered and their language is clarified. It's amazing.
1: So one of the biggest conflicts of all human history of God's punishment, we now see his redemption. Yes. So the whole world is scattered and we feel like, did God abandon them? No, God never forgot them. And he always planned on bringing them back to Christ. And so that's why the next part of this 50-day, Journey is so important. So, we've got 40 days of discipleship, but we've got this 10 days to Pentecost. Right. 10 days is so important because as a church, we are making, we are discipling and we're sowing seeds of discipleship into people, right? We're leading them, we're guiding them, we're devoting to the apostles' teaching, we're devoting them to the word of God and answers, real tangible answers that people wrestle with. And in this, we're going to spend the next 10 days after this, we're going to pray over our harvest. We're going to pray for those we've been discipling. We're going to be serving like never before, but we are praying, God, bring fruit from this. Yes. And in this, we are planning every year, and I pray so many people could do this. It's taking the day of Pentecost, the birthday of the church, and we plan our biggest baptism celebration ever. To where those we've been discipling, the places we've been sowing seeds, what we've been nurturing, we want people to come to Christ and we want them to have that reconciliation no matter who they are, no matter where they've been scattered to, we want them reconciled and we want instead of death of sin, we want life through Christ. And so we hold an amazing baptism service and it's so beautiful because what better way to celebrate the birthday of the church than how the church was birthed.
0: Absolutely. So this is, an, again, an incredible flow that our church carries out. We do 40 days of discipleship following Easter, 40 days with Jesus, and then we count down 10 days to Pentecost, which is a time of prayer, of fasting, of, of bringing in the harvest where we've sown for 40 days with the hopes of seeing people come to Christ on Pentecost Sunday, which on your calendar is always celebrated on the 50th day after Easter. And in that way, we model this discipleship, this sowing, this harvest, this reaping that we find in Scripture. We want to
1: teach discipleship all year, but we as humans need a reminder, a little revival time yes, to be able to say, hey, this is what we do. Let's go back and do it right. That's right. We lose that track. Sometimes we need to come back.
0: So I'm glad you said that, a revival time. So As as we're encouraging you through this podcast to read the whole Bible, we also want to be encouraging you to share what you're learning. And I want to tell you that Matt has developed a really incredible resource for this. We've talked about uh, this is just a flow that we have for discipleship and for evangelism here in our church, Ecclesia, the church that Matt leads. And we want to make this, for the first time, available to churches everywhere. And so, Matt, you've you've put this in book format so that anyone can get it. It's called The 40-Day Discipleship Journey, and this is actually coming out next week. Mm-hmm. And so that's why we wanted to get this podcast out there, because it's such a great opportunity to launch on Easter. Again, the Super Bowl— Biggest evangelistic opportunity of the year, I promise you, if you have friends who are hesitant to attend church with you, not always open to hearing the gospel, they are most likely to listen to it, to come with you, to engage with you twice a year, Christmas and Easter. And so we want to encourage you, use that opportunity, leverage that, bring your friends to church, share the gospel with your friends, and then if they're ready to hear more, we want to put in your hands a resource for discipling them. Now, Matt, I think you would probably agree one of the biggest um, hindrances to people committing to discipling someone else is is they probably feel ill-equipped. What if I don't have every answer that I need, right?
1: Right. So we forget a lot of times we don't begin winning people to Jesus in the church.
0: It's relational.
1: Discipleship is relational, right? So it really does start with people that we can build a relationship with and have real conversations with. So that intimidation of, I don't have answers, is heavy. Yeah. So we've taken the past 20 years of ministry, and the, the most common questions, we took time to poll people, like, what are the questions that yes. you wrestle with and that you most struggle with? What are the things that are foundational for a person beginning their walk with Christ? Right. And that's what the 40 days is. It starts with the questions and concerns. I mean, we go through some, we start off with, what is discipleship? Yeah. Am I being called to it? What is the trinity? Okay. Yes. So like culturally people just kind of come to a place of assumptions, believing they know let's dig into the word of God and say, who are the Trinity and what are the roles? Yeah. Let's talk about what happens when I've been hurt. What happens when the church has hurt me? How wow. do I stay a part of the church? Yeah. What, what can I do if I've had a bad past? How do I turn that into a testimony and what is this milk and meat thing? Right. And do I ever leave milk or do, it, do I just become an all time carnivore? So we take these things on with biblical answers that anyone can receive. Right. And so it doesn't matter if you're day one asking questions, you can use this. If you've been a Christian for 40 years, you're probably going to get some clarity to things. But if nothing else, it helps us to be able to share the gospel in a relational manner, to be able to walk people through their questions. And so a lot of times people ask, you know, well, what do we do after this? Yeah. Well, the Word of God is our foundation. There's multiple discipleship methods and programs out there, but I would like to throw a little a little support of if you would like to continue growing in the Word of God in a good, strong foundation, seeing the revelation of where God works here and where God works here, go back to Tina's book, and this is an amazing resource you can use again and again to continue growing.
0: Well, thank you. I appreciate that, that endorsement from you, because your opinion certainly is the most important one that I would hear speaking into that. So guys, as you commit yourselves to reading the whole word of God, and I hope that's what you're doing. Again, I'll have a tool coming out that can assist you with this on May the 19th, but we also uh, don't want you to put off taking next steps until then. We would love to see you moving forward in discipleship And we want to help you with that. We want to equip you for that. So this book is called The 40-Day Discipleship Journey. Matthew Wilson is the author. It's going to be available after March the 6th on Amazon. I believe you've also got it coming to Kindle in digital format.
1: Digital format by March 20th.
0: Great. And I'll tell you, you will be able to go to my website, which is stepintoscripture.com. There's a link there for books, and I'll have this book linked up there where you can pick it up also. But consider taking this Easter and honoring the resurrection of our Lord in a way that maybe you never have before by finding a person or a small group of people and saying to them, hey, let's walk together in discipleship.
1: And there's a beautiful way this helps pastors. Because as a pastor, one of the things I wrestle with is discipleship was always on me. Yeah. This puts it back in the hand of people, and we wanted a resource we could trust that wasn't watered down mainstream Christianity teaching, that is directly from the Word of God, but it's something where I can do it on my own, I can do it with my family, I can do it with a group of friends, or I can do it in a larger group setting, or I can even teach this from the pulpit. And so what's beautiful is it takes the sole responsibility, and what the furthest thing from what Christ commanded us is that I make all disciples myself. Right. And it puts it back into everyone's hands then I can trust what they're, lead- they're leading people in. I can trust what people are studying. And people in the church can start making disciples that make disciples.
0: I love it. Great resource for the individual Christian. Great resource for pastors that they can implement in their whole churches. So again, we invite you all to take advantage of that resource. Check it out. You can find it at stepintoscripture.com. It'll be linked under the books tab here coming up just in the next week. So Matt, thank you so much for joining me today. I love digging into the Bible with you. You've been the inspiration for me in my life to even start reading the Bible as a young woman, an older teen, and you've been the inspiration in my life to stay in the Bible uh, for decades now. And that's been a game changer. So thank you for that. Thank you for being here with me today. You all join me back next week, and we will be jumping back into objections that you've said or maybe heard about why you don't need to read the whole Bible. You absolutely do. And we're going to prove it to you in Scripture. So we'll see you back next week.